Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When beautiful Texas teen Crystal Baker is brutally murdered. She'd been through something bad in the last moments of her life. She didn't die easy. Townspeople wonder... Did the killer of this great niece of Marilyn Monroe simply prefer blondes? Or did he have it in for Crystal? Obviously, you want to find out who did this. How the heck did this happen? Detectives round up a herd of likely suspects. A baby-faced ex-boyfriend with a shocking secret. A down-on-his-luck trucker who's got something to hide. And a fisherman who may be up to no good. I lived in the dark. I lived not knowing who did it to her, not knowing why they did it, like underneath a big dark cloud. And then an even more sinister scenario emerges. Is Crystal the latest victim in the Texas Killing Fields murders? I'm thinking, wow, this might be the proverbial serial killer. How well do you know your neighbors? What lies behind the white picket fences? If there's one place that lives up to the spirit of the Lone Star State, it's Texas City, Texas. I mean, it's, uh, it's the one town in the whole state that has the name. People wear that with pride. And natives sure know how to dress the part. High society in this town is still wearing boots and blue jeans and showing up with your own bottle at the local dance. That's the city. It's not black tie and tuxedos. It's little wonder, then, that single mom, Jeannie Escamilla, picked this down-home hamlet to raise her three children. The youngest, 13-year-old Crystal Baker, with her sparkling smile and loving nature, is the apple of her mother's eye. Crystal was a star. She looked like the yellow rose of Texas, too, with that pretty blonde hair that she had and gold eyes. It's a trait Crystal shares with another famous baker, 
her great-aunt, Norma Jean, a star of the silver screen who history remembers by another name, Marilyn Monroe. Crystal was kin to Marilyn Monroe from her dad's side. And much like great-aunt Marilyn, Crystal hopes her golden locks will put her on the pathway to success. She dreams of joining the cheerleading squad next year when she starts high school. Crystal would have been a cheerleader. She'd probably be a cheerleader for the Texans or the Cowboys, because she loved them all. But while Crystal daydreams about her future, she spends her days being a typical teenager. Like any teen coming into her own, Crystal's finding her way in the world. But little does Crystal know that her bright future is about to tumble into darkness. Tuesday, March 5th, 1996, should have been just another normal school day for Crystal. But instead, she wakes up with a terrible ear infection. She told me she didn't feel like going to school, and I said, that's fine. And I told her, well, you need to go to your grandma's. Stay there where your grandmother is at. And whenever I get off from work, I'll come pick you up. So Crystal spends the day snoozing on her grandma's couch just down the road. But when a friend calls after school wanting to hang out, Crystal tells her grandmother she's now feeling fit as a fiddle. But her grandmother didn't want her to go because she was sick and she should have stayed home. So they got an argument. Crystal storms out of the house and hightails it off to her friends. But Jeannie expects Crystal to walk through the front door right before dinner. So when the clock strikes seven, six hours after Crystal ran off, Jeannie's furious face begins to show signs of worry. I had a gut feeling all along. When she didn't show up that night, evening, I knew there was something wrong. Jeannie frantically dials the friend who called Crystal earlier that afternoon. But the girl says Crystal never showed up, and none of Crystal's other friends have heard from the bubbly blonde either. We went hunting for her, like, you know, physically hunting for her, and we looked everywhere for her, couldn't find her. Having no luck on her own, this grieving mom heads to the Texas City Police to report Crystal missing. I felt like my heart was just pulling apart and just breaking in little bitty pieces, looking for my little girl and not knowing where she was at. She can only hope the city's fine brothers in blue will find her baby girl. Across the Galveston Bay from Texas City in Chambers County, Deputy Sheriff Wesley King is a hardworking cowboy of a cop. But unlike the Texas lawmen of old, this dutiful deputy rides a steel horse on the job. I ride a, a Honda Gullwing. When traffic's backed up, you can, you can get around your traffic. Yeah, it's awesome to, to get to ride a, a motorcycle. But evenings in this neck of the woods are pretty quiet for this patrolling policeman until a call comes over the radio around five o'clock that causes this night rider to spring to action. I received a call that there was a, a body on the side of the road uh, under the, the Trinity River Bridge. My first initial, you know, thinking was maybe they've, they've saw a mannequin or, you know, there's, there's, there's a, a number of different possibilities. 
But the local fisherman who called the station insists he and his wife have found the body of a young girl, sprawled out on the banks of the river. And Deputy King suspects the couple may have stumbled upon the body of missing Crystal Baker from across the bay in Texas City. With that, the determined deputy is off like a dart to the scene. Yeah, when you get a call, you got to start mashing on that, that gas, and you're starting to focus, and, and so you're getting a little out before you ever arrive on the scene. When King pulls off the interstate and onto the road under the bridge, he's immediately struck by the scene. There was a, a pickup there with a, a middle-aged couple. I noticed on the, 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 sh the shoulder of the road, just in the gravel area, there was something covered up with a blanket. Not knowing what he has, Deputy King approaches the truck and finds the 911 caller, Gerald Barnes, almost too shaken to speak. Gerald explains to King he and his wife, Joyce, covered the body with a blanket from their truck out of respect. And that's where the first responder lays eyes on evidence of extreme evil. I went over to the blanket, lifted up the edge of the blanket where I could see under. I pulled back her hair that was covered in her face and could tell that it was, it was a young girl, a very young girl. The girl is wearing a blue floral dress matching the description of what Crystal was last seen in. And she's spread out in such a way that her underwear is clearly visible. When Deputy King takes a closer look, he comes across his first clue to what might have happened. The panties were bloodstained. You know, I mean, it was real obvious. King is pretty sure the victim was sexually assaulted. It, it, it breaks your heart when you see a, a child like that in, in this, this condition. Uh, it really tugs at us. But this seasoned cop is able to steel himself to take a closer look at the body. She had uh, real distinct strangulation marks, you know, around her neck. So it was pretty, pretty obvious that she was, you know, she was strangled. King knows he's facing a Texas-sized problem. Good thing there's one lawman in the land with the chops to tackle this challenge. Sergeant Investigator Bradley Moon of the Chambers County Sheriff's Department is a no-nonsense kind of cop and a Wild West warrior when it comes to dispensing justice, Texas style. I've been told by everybody that I'm rather intimidating. I'd like to be considered a typical Texas lawman. I don't like to put up with a lot of unnecessary malarkey. I do like to be taken seriously. And with a dead child down by the bridge, Sergeant Moon wastes no time getting down to business but there's little physical evidence pointing him in a definite direction. So Moon looks to the body to guide him. And I remember thinking, you know, I wish that she could talk to me, to tell me. You know, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, what, what, what can you tell me? What, what can you tell me? The area around the body offers few clues to help this sergeant size up what went down. And given the position of the body, Moon thinks Crystal was probably killed somewhere else. There was no sign of a scuffle on the ground. She was just laid out there, and she was probably pushed out or dumped out of a vehicle. Detective Moon secures the crime scene and tells the Barnes, who reported the body, not to skip town. Moon's next move is to ask Crystal's mother, Jeannie, to come to the station to make a positive ID. Sadly, 
mom's worst fears are realized. When I found out my crystal angel was murdered, my heart just died. It was heartbreaking and it was devastating to have to deal with what I had to deal with. Sergeant Moon sets out to rope in a solid suspect. And this seasoned detective is going to let what few clues he has lead the way. I'm thinking I've got a real whodunit. Basically, all that, the only evidence I have is the blanket that were used to cover her up by the couple that found her. Those are the only two people that I can put with the victim at that time. So they're top on my list now. Could these seeming good Samaritans be the key to solving this mystery? Or could someone a little closer to home have something to hide? A suspect is about to surprise detectives when they begin searching through the shadows of Crystal's life. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, it's Janice from Warner Brothers Discovery. Have you ever heard the expression, perfect is the enemy of good? I think about that a lot, especially when it comes to my body and health, because perfect does not exist. It's a total trap. Noom isn't into this perfection thing either. Its unique approach is tailored to each person's psychology and biology. From coaching to recipes, Noom's app provides personalized information to help you on your journey, no one else's journey. I also think it's great that Noom doesn't restrict what you can eat, and it doesn't shame you for treating yourself. And treat yourself, you should. What's more, Noom's approach is grounded in science. They've even published more than 30 peer-reviewed scientific articles about how they work. To date, Noom has helped more than 5.2 million people lose weight by helping them build new habits for a healthier lifestyle. So why not give it a try? 
Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first-ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. If there's one thing that gets folks in Texas City, Texas talking, it's a fantastic fish story. And T.J. Alds of the Galveston Daily News sure knows how to reel in a scoop. But one day after little Crystal Baker is found dead on the banks of the Trinity River, even he is at a loss for words. If there's ever time that you could say, I was shocked with a story, this would be it. And we weren't getting many answers uh, at the time. Anxiously awaiting encouraging news is Crystal's mom, Jeannie Escamilla. She still can't shake the image of her daughter's battered body as she thinks about the woman Crystal could have become. She would have been a beautiful young lady. She would have been a good mother. She would have been a good wife. And she would have been good at anything she did, because you know what? I used to always tell her, there's nothing you cannot do. And one day after the murder, Sergeant Bradley Moon is hoping to bring closure to this grieving mom by hooking himself a solid suspect. So he turns to the only two people with ties to the crime scene, Gerald and Joyce Barnes, who first reported the body. I don't know if they brought her there in their trunk and put her out or if they actually found her. I really don't have anything. A quick background check reveals neither of the Barnes has been in trouble with the law. So to fill in some of the blanks on these helpful do-gooders, Sergeant Moon takes a look at the freshly finished autopsy report. When I get the autopsy report back, I'm hopeful that I can find some kind of uh, trace evidence uh, that might be beneficial. First off, it reveals what police suspected, that Crystal was sexually assaulted before she was murdered, making Sergeant Moon even more determined to capture Crystal's killer. It weighed extremely heavy on my mind. Whoever did it is truly a, a, a bad guy, an evil person. Crystal was battered and bruised, but the coroner determines the ligature marks around her neck reveal how she died. She had been strangled to death. You had all the, the, the abrasion around her neck. We still didn't know what had been used. But if there's one thing the medical examiner is certain about, it's that Crystal didn't go down without a fight. It looked like she'd fought for her life. Some of the abrasions on her knees and, and on our, our hands and fingers, it was apparent that she'd struggled. Hoping Crystal scratched her attacker in the process, investigators collect scrapings from under her fingernails. But the DNA test results come back with nothing helpful. The lack of forensic evidence was an obstacle. I was hoping that it would open the door and we'd be able to focus on, on an individual. Uh, and <laughs> that door didn't open. Detectives do have a four-hour window for when Crystal could have been killed. We did know she was deceased at 5 p.m. when we got to the scene. She had been last seen at 1, so sometime between 1 p.m. and 5 p.m., she was killed. Unfortunately, the ME can't narrow down the time frame any further. But this window of death should be enough for a top cop to get this case cracking. And that starts with throwing the couple who found her body in the hot seat for questioning. 
do Gerald and Joyce Barnes know more than they're letting on? I was going to double-check and, and recheck everything just to make sure that their story was verified uh, because I didn't want to, I did not want to slip and miss anything that might give me a clue as to who killed Crystal. After coming to the station willingly, the pair is questioned separately, and they stick to the same story they told at the scene. They were out fishing all afternoon when they came across Crystal's body on the bank of the river. But the sharp-eyed sergeant wonders if they're holding anything back. So detectives search the Barnes's truck. Because they had covered the body up with blankets out of their vehicle, I needed to get into their vehicle to pull possible trace evidence out of the trunk. But after carefully combing every inch of the couple's truck, the lab techs find no evidence of Crystal ever being inside and nothing to mark the Barnes as murderers. Nothing really shot red flares off as being potentially incriminating on either of them. Technically, you would say that they were cleared. So with the Barnes sinking to the bottom of the suspect list, detectives go back to Crystal's family to see if anyone may have wanted to harm this teenage treasure. And Crystal's mother, Jeannie, comes up with one name. Local boy Brandon Lowe, a neighborhood teen who'd briefly dated her daughter over a year ago when he moved to town from Dallas. He was like all boys are around his age. They like to play these little games where one minute they act like they want you and the next minute they act like they don't want you. Could Crystal and Brandon have reconnected in a teenage tryst gone terribly wrong? A quick background check reveals Brandon's record is squeaky clean. But detectives discover this young Lothario was holding back one scandalous secret. He's really 21 years old. Well, the biggest cause for concern with, with Brandon was that he was older than she was. And the first thing comes to mind is he's possibly taking advantage of her. She's extremely vulnerable. She's at a turning point in her life. Could this lovebird really be a bird of prey? Investigators track down this senior suitor to set the story straight. He may or may not have been involved, but he may also have knowledge of it. Uh, that's another reason why it was important to talk to him. But before police corner Brandon, a suspicious sighting adds a new name to the suspect list. And that's when the investigation really starts to heat up. We got a tip from a local resident who had seen a suspicious looking person in a truck, a small truck that had driven down to the river. Could this tantalizing tip lead police to Crystal's killer? There's a big twist that will spin this case in a terrifying new direction. hour from the Johnson Space Center in Texas City, Texas, it's not unusual for folks to keep an eye on the sky. But one week after the murder of Crystal Baker, locals are on the lookout for a killer loose on the streets. I'm not afraid to admit it. I was scared, and we weren't getting many answers at the time, because police didn't know. But Crystal's mom, Jeannie Escamilla, has her sights on a standout suspect. 21-year-old Brandon Lowe, who may have conned Crystal into romance by lying about his age. 
I don't think Crystal even knew how old he was. I think he was really good about not showing his age and not telling his age. And I, I, that's what made me kind of suspect him. Detectives wonder if the promise of love by this overaged suitor could have done in Crystal. Brandon was looked at hard because of his past association with her, so it was imperative that we talk to him. And if Brandon really does have an eye for younger girls, Sergeant Moon knows he has to sweep this predator off the streets and fast. But it seems even Brandon's own folks haven't seen the young ruffian since he vanished from the house a few days earlier. Brandon disappeared after Crystal was missing. He didn't come to her funeral as well. So that was very suspicious that the boy that loved her so much and that she loved so much was nowhere to be found. After turning over a few more stones around town, police find Brandon and haul him back to the station. And when detectives finally see him for themselves, they're shocked this babyface is the tough guy they've been after. But looks can be deceiving. If he was asked point blank, were he involved with Crystal's murder? Was he involved with her disappearance? And he denied both. When detectives press Brandon on where he was at the time of the murder, he claims he was out with his buddies. And they were nowhere near the Trinity River Bridge. So detectives grill Brandon about his relationship with Crystal. But Brandon insists they didn't have much of one. They were probably closer to being friends. And I, and I think she was uh, probably infatuated a lot with this guy. To separate fact from fiction, detectives ask Brandon to submit to a polygraph. Unfortunately for investigators, Brandon passes with flying colors. And when his friends confirm his whereabouts on the day of the murder, detectives realize they have nothing concrete to connect this punk to the crime, at least not yet. He's still a possible suspect. You've got a list. He would, you know, drop down a peg. With Crystal's supposed ex-boyfriend Brandon off the hook, no one is more concerned about finding her killer than Crystal's mom. I lived in the dark. I lived not knowing who did it to her, not knowing why they did it, like underneath a big dark cloud. It's a good thing the tips keep coming in. Uh, one of the gentlemen that had, had been in that area around the time the body was discovered uh, contacted us and advised us that he had seen a truck down to the river. The caller reports this parked truck was near where Crystal was discovered on the day she died. And his description of the questionable character inside has detectives all ears. They had seen beer cans in the bed of the truck, some open, some closed. Uh, the person of the truck seemed a little rough around the edges. I did get a statement from the person who called this in. We got a license plate off the vehicle. Detectives quickly run the tags and come up with a name, Marv Roberts, a 43-year-old unemployed truck driver. And while Marv doesn't have a rap sheet, detectives can't be too sure, especially based on the eyewitness report. The witness did place the vehicle or in the area of the crime scene. They would have driven right by where the body was dumped. Could this down-on-his-luck trucker have a thing for young girls? Maybe with a few beers under his belt, he spotted Crystal walking along the road and acted on his urges. 
Sergeant Moon hopes a visit to Marv's house will clear the air. I needed to know more about who Marv was and if he had seen anything that might be helpful or if he had been involved. So investigators make a beeline to Marv's digs right outside the city limits. When they knock on the front door, a voice hollers for them to enter. And once inside, Sergeant Moon lays eyes on something he never expected. Marv Roberts is confined to a wheelchair. So I'm thinking, well, you know, this guy's in a wheelchair. He's not going to be able to, I don't think he's going to be able to strangle anybody. After the shock of seeing the wheelchair wears off, Sergeant Moon notices Marv is as drunk as a skunk. But the detective presses him to explain why his truck was at the crime scene. Marv claims he was simply out and about with his dog, Earl, looking for a good place to cast his line. Marv was there for maybe five or ten minutes and decided they weren't going to fish, so they left. And they, when they arrived there at the river, they didn't see any body on the side of the road. When they left, they didn't see anybody, any body, a dead person on the side of the road. They didn't see Crystal. Based on Marv's current state of intoxication, Maybe he was three sheets to the wind on the day of Crystal's murder. And that's why he didn't notice anything. After months on the case, with no other suspects, the investigation turns as cold as a bowl of leftover tortilla soup, leaving Sergeant Moon hungry for answers. When, when you don't have anything that you can sink your teeth into, no, no thread to grab a hold of, you feel like you're chasing your tail. But in April of 1997, one year after Crystal's murder, detectives receive news that's a real shocker. A 13-year-old girl by the name of Laura Smither has turned up dead just 30 minutes away from where Crystal's body was found. And one terrifying thought jumps to the top of Sergeant Moon's mind. Is Crystal a victim of a serial killer? Very possible. Once Moon begins digging into the two cases, he's surprised to uncover a trove of other unsolved murders. Around 40 young girls, and all discovered dead over the past three decades around East Texas. Are these cold cases connected to the murders of Crystal and Laura? Did all these victims die at the hand of the same man? It's extremely scary. I think we had a serial killer in the area that's targeting young females and, and with no clue as to who it is or where he might strike again. So if police can find who killed Crystal and Laura, maybe they can crack these other unsolved cases. Is a serial killer terrorizing the Texas coast? Detectives are about to find out. When spring comes to Texas City, locals are usually warming up in the sun. But a year after Crystal Baker's murder, when a second young girl, Laura Smither, turns up dead, reporter T.J. Alds knows it's fear that has everyone breaking out in a sweat. You know, is it a serial killer? You don't feel safe. It's the general perception of folks like, oh my goodness. No one is more concerned than Crystal's mom, Jeannie Escamilla. When I heard that Laura Smithers had been killed, I was devastated. I had the fear that Crystal and Laura Smithers had been killed by the same person. 
Sergeant Bradley Moon is thinking the same thing. Just like Crystal, Laura disappeared while walking down the street near her home and was later found strangled to death, her body dumped in a pond. They were both very close to the same age. They were both very close to the same physical description, and they were both discovered near water. I did feel that the killer could be one and the same. But now Moon wonders if there's also a link between the girls' murders and an area now dubbed the Texas Killing Fields. The Killing Fields in Texas is a stretch of land where there were young ladies that were all killed in a similar fashion. To see if Crystal and Laura's murders fit the mold, Sergeant Moon looks a little closer into the 50-mile no-man's land between Houston and Galveston. When I compared Laura Smithers and Crystal's case to these other killings in the killing fields, I looked at the cause of death. I looked at the ages of the victims. I looked at the physical descriptions of the victims. The uncanny similarities all point to the work of a single serial killer. But there are few clues left at the scene of the murders to suggest who the killer might be. Most of them have no suspects. So the mystery has hyped this a little bit more on all these cases. Were all these women killed here or just dumped on the same stretch of land? And did they all die by the same evil hand? Or were there many killers? Detective Moon is aiming to find out. So he digs up every name he can find from the old cases. We did look at other suspects that may have been involved in some of the other killing field cases because they could have potentially been involved in Crystal's case. So we compared notes, went through case files, looking for something that might tie them to this. Working with other detectives in the area, the officer tries to make a match. Texas City, the FBI, and two or three other local agencies who had had all these cases uh, did believe that we were looking for a serial killer because of all the victims' similarities. And uh, it's very unnerving. You don't know where he's going to strike next. But with around 40 cases to look at, it would seem they can't help but get lucky. I was hopeful for a suspect match. You're hoping it might be somebody that you've already had contact with. You're thinking that it's going to be one of those. But uh, it wasn't. We could never put them in the same area with Crystal and Laura Smithers. It's a terrible disappointment, but Crystal's mother never gives up hope of finding her daughter's killer. It was devastating and it was hard, but I'm a strong woman, so I handled it the best I could. With few promising leads left to chase, detectives are at a loss and nothing turns up for years. But detectives are determined to find the answers. So in 2010, almost 14 years after Crystal's murder, they fire the case back up and take a fresh look at the evidence hoping years of technological advances will help. Technology has changed probably a hundredfold since, since 1996. My thought was that it paid off, that we held on to the evidence as long as we held on to it. That maybe I hadn't let something slip through the crack. And the department's go-to person for DNA evidence is Officer Sherry Wilcox. Sherry was only in high school when Crystal was killed but she's been hooked on the case ever since. I can't imagine what she went through. 
actually, that's one of the things that motivate me too. It is an emotional case for me for some reason. Now, maybe Officer Wilcox will put this nightmare to rest. I knew that there had to be some sort of DNA evidence left behind, that there could not be such a vicious attack and Crystal put up such a fight and nothing be left. Sure enough, in the evidence room, Wilcox hits pay dirt. Crystal's panties and dress are preserved along with scrapings from under her fingernails. Will they reveal the identity of Crystal's killer after almost a decade and a half in storage? Detectives cross their fingers. We're waiting for the DNA results. It's like being a kid waiting for Christmas morning to open presents. It's, it's just, you can't wait. You gotta wait, but you can't wait. It isn't long before detectives receive the call they've been waiting for. The lab was able to recover DNA that detectives think could be from Crystal's killer. All right, let us know, for baby. Officer Wilcox, it's the break she's been dreaming of. We were very excited when we found out that we had a potential break in this case and that we were finally going to get justice for Crystal. And investigators wonder if their mystery man could be none other than Crystal's older ex-boyfriend, Brandon Lowe. Even though police didn't have enough to arrest him the first time around, will DNA now give detectives a lock on their leading man? We tracked down Brandon, got a sample from him, but... The boyfriend sample did not match what was in there. Undeterred, detectives decide to take a different approach. They run the hit through CODIS, the national DNA database. And finally, they come back with a match. When we found out that we had a match, we knew that we had a hot case back on our hands. I'm pretty amped up. I'm thinking, you know, this might be the chink in the guy's armor that gets us to him. But the DNA matches a name that isn't on detectives' radar. The guy who left his calling card is Kevin Smith, an ex-felon out on parole. And his rap sheet reads like a page out of the violent criminal's handbook. It was clear that he didn't like law enforcement. He had assaulted an officer. And when he was arrested for a narcotics offense, they pulled DNA from him. And it went into the database. That's where we got our hit from. And when Sergeant Moon takes a closer look, he learns more about this mystery man. We had found out he was a black male who had been living in the Texas City area, that he had been married a couple of different times. He did have some children, still has family living in the Texas City area. Kevin Smith's name doesn't appear as a suspect in any of the other Killing Fields case files or in Laura Smithers. And his DNA doesn't match evidence found at any of the crime scenes. But it sounds like Kevin did murder Crystal. So it's time for police to catch up with him. We began trying to track, find out where he worked at, where he was at, trying to find this guy and figure out how to get our hooks in him. A quick call to Smith's parole officer reveals Smith is currently working as a welder at an oil refinery in Port Arthur, about two hours north of Texas City. With that, Sergeant Moon is off like a shot to catch a killer. We all got there, and Kevin's employer escorted him to the gate. And when he was brought into the guard shack, he was informed that we were there to arrest him for capital murder of Crystal Jean Baker. Smith seems shocked by the arrest and denies having anything to do with Crystal's murder. Kevin Smith acted like he did not know what was going on. 
He continued, even after being advised what he was being arrested for, like he didn't know what was going on. But the evidence doesn't lie, and this diligent detective is confident they have their man. I didn't doubt that we had the right guy. And Sherry and I high-fived after we got him cuffed and in the car. Yeah, it was a good feeling. We got our guy. But is Kevin Smith really their killer? Just when all the pieces seem to be falling into place, a bombshell from behind bars threatens to blow this case apart. Fourteen years after Crystal Baker's life was cut short, all eyes are on ex-con Kevin Smith. DNA evidence links Smith to the killing. But even though he's facing first-degree murder charges, he's still digging in his heels. I've got a lot of faith in the Texas Department of Public Safety's crime lab. I, I didn't doubt that we had the right guy. And just in the manner and way he denied, you know, I don't know what you're talking about, he knew. But Moon would like to go to trial with a confession in hand, and he doubts he can get Kevin to crack. Then, out of the blue, he's blindsided by an email from an ex-FBI agent. It seems someone else has fessed up to the crime. The agent overheard an inmate in Minnesota named Lorenzo Sanchez confess to killing Crystal. It's extremely baffling. You know, I mean, we've got the evidence that points all fingers at Kevin Smith, and I don't know where Lorenzo Sanchez figures into the equation. If what this former G-man heard is true, could there have been a mistake in processing Kevin's DNA? Or maybe he didn't act alone. When police look at Sanchez's record, it's clear he's as bad as they come, currently serving a life sentence for stabbing a 12-year-old girl to death back in 1999. And this child killer was loose on the streets back in 1996, when Crystal was killed. If he was in Texas City, it's possible he may have ties to their case. Lorenzo's confession did take quite a bit of time to digest and try to make sense of and try to put it where it could be fit, where it would fit into our investigation. But after carefully reviewing the confession and Crystal's case, police are convinced Lorenzo Sanchez is a fraud. Lorenzo was not here in Texas City. I couldn't ever put him here. And again, his name never surfaced in anything. So why would Sanchez confess to a murder he didn't commit? Since news of Crystal's killing was all over the media, Sergeant Moon can take a guess. I think Lorenzo Sanchez tried to claim Crystal Baker's homicide as a claim to fame. There's countless possibilities. You know, these guys, they sit in a jail cell and all, they think about all kinds of stuff. With Lorenzo Sanchez out of the picture, detectives turn their attention back to the one person they've tied to the murder, Kevin Smith. And when investigators take their case to trial, in a shocking turn of events, Kevin finally confesses to killing Crystal Baker. On April 26, 2012, He's convicted of first-degree murder and sentenced to life in prison. Sixteen years after Crystal ran out of her granny's house for the very last time. Kevin Smith, I would say, is a monster. He truly is a real bad guy. When we went through trial, he cried and said he did not mean for it to happen. And 
He's crying because he's caught and he's going to jail for life. Given the evidence and Smith's confession, this is what police believe happened on that terrible Tuesday afternoon. After arguing with her grandmother, Crystal takes off to her friend's house, but never arrives. I think Kevin Smith saw Crystal walking down the side of the street and that he pulled up beside her. Smith rolls down his window and offers Crystal a ride, but she refuses. Realizing they're alone on the road, Smith sees an opportunity to take advantage of a beautiful teenage girl. He forced her into the car, abducting her. Crystal would have never gotten in the car with a stranger. Crystal puts up a fight, but Smith is able to overpower and sexually assault her. Then Smith grabs a welding strap out of his work bag and wraps it around Crystal's neck. He puts the strap on her and he starts choking her down. And then all of a sudden he claims that she's, she's not responsive. Realizing Crystal is dead, Smith races away with her body still on the seat beside him. He drives and drives and drives until he gets to the Trinity River Bridge and gets off and drags her out of the truck and leaves her there. Crystal's body is left out to rot. But like signing his name to the crime, Kevin Smith leaves behind the one thing that will do him in, his own DNA. This case was gut-wrenching. Crystal was abducted forcefully. She was sexually assaulted forcefully because she tried to fight to get away, and she paid the ultimate price. Her life was taken. Even though 16 years have passed since she last laid eyes on her darling daughter, the memory of Crystal is still alive in the heart of her mother, Jeannie Escamilla. I remember her laughter, her love. She used to love to lay in my arms. She was always close to me. She would like to sit and watch TV with me in the bed and, and cuddle up to her mama. Life in Texas City has almost returned to normal. But locals are still haunted by some unanswered questions. The killer of young Laura Smither has never been found, and the killing field's cases are still unsolved. So who knows how many more stories remain to be told. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.